So starting in verse 30... Wait. (laughs) I did that wrong. (laughs) Uh, 36. Supposed to be 36. 36. (laughs) There is no 38. (laughs) Says... Yeah. 36. Says this. So Joseph, a Levite, who was a native of Cyprus, called by the apostles Barnabas, which is translated son of encouragement, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and placed it at the apostles' feet. Now a man named Ananias, together with Sapphira, his wife, sold a piece of property. He kept back for himself part of the proceeds with his wife's knowledge. He brought only part of it and placed it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back for yourself part of the proceeds from the sale of the land? Before it was sold, did it not belong to you? And when it was sold, was the money not at your disposal? How have you thought up this deed in your heart? You have not lied to people, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he collapsed and died. And great fear gripped all who heard about it. So the young men came, wrapped him up, carried him out, and buried him. After an interval interval of about three hours, his wife came in. But she did not know what had happened. Peter said to her, Tell me, were the two of you paid this amount for the land? Sapphira said, Oh, yes, that much. Peter then told her, Why have you agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Look, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. At once she collapsed at his feet and died. So when the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Great fear gripped the whole church and all who heard about these things. Lord Jesus, we pray for your wisdom. We pray for you that you would give us a word of knowledge here this morning. Lord, that you would, uh, Lord, that you would uh, enlighten the eyes of our hearts. And God, I pray that you would give us uh, just a revelation of yourself, a revelation of your Holy Spirit. And your desire for us, your desire uh, with us, as your presence desires to dwell among us. And so, Lord, as we pray all these things, Lord, we pray that you would help us to feel the weight of that request that your presence would be among us. And God, I uh, I pray you encourage us and send us out of this place with joy in our hearts uh, and wisdom filling our spirit. In Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen. You may have a seat. <laughs> so last week I asked a question. I asked the question, what would you do if you won or were given or came into, inherited a million bucks, a million dollars? But this, this week, I want to kind of go off that same question. Imagine you were given or the, imagine I gave you a million bucks, a million dollars. How would you feel? Right? Woo! I guess jumping my seat. Would people be able to get you kind of down or, or discouraged or feeling bad, at least for a short time? No. You'd be like, woo, I'm on cloud nine. Right? Pay off all your debts, buy a house, buy a car, give some money to here, give some money there. Right? I asked the question last week, Leo, last week, what would you do with a million dollars? And even I posed that question at the winter camp. And, you know, they were talking about different things like giving to charities and, and giving to the church and doing all these different things. And, and th- you know, things are awesome. 
So it's almost like we ask, we ask the question, like, if we were given a million bucks, what would we do with it? But we don't really think about how we would feel. How would we feel if we had that million dollars? Now, not just that. So now, imagine this. What if I gave you $10 million? $10 million. But you wouldn't wake up tomorrow. Would you take it? No. No. Hmm. Hmm. So what you're saying is that waking up, just simply waking up in the morning is worth more than $10 million. Just waking up is worth more than $10 million. Why don't we feel that way every day? Every time you wake up, man, I feel like a million bucks. I feel like 10 million bucks this morning. So often we we look at this life God has given us and we're like, oh, this is terrible. Oh, this sucks. Oh, this is hard. Oh, this world hates me. I can't lose weight. I'm poor. I don't have enough. My My living circumstances are frustrating. Lord, have you seen my roommate? Well, good news, you woke up today. You have another day, and another day, and another day. However many days the Lord gives us before we're nuked by the Russians. I'm just kidding. <laughs> another, however many days we have to glorify God, to be with God, to enjoy God, to walk with God, to follow God, enjoy Him and His faithfulness, to accomplish the work that He has given us to do. Now, Paul himself was even like, you know, I'd rather go and be with the Lord. I'd rather not wake up tomorrow. But for your sake and for the sake of the Lord's work in this world, in your lives, He is here. He's keeping me here. So how do we have that same mindset every single day? Getting up with, the, with that idea of mission. That we are on mission with Yahweh. We are on mission with the God of this universe. We are on mission to accomplish the work that God has given us to do. And that's to both do and work and serve and also to enjoy and follow and be in God's presence every day. It may start out difficult and hard. We may not have a good day. We're never going to bat 100. But living the life God has given us is more than worth it. Is, more of, is worth more value than $10 million. Good news. If you don't like the things, the, you know, the, the things that frustrate you in the morning, you can change those. You can change those things. You can't change your spouse, <laughs> but you can change the way that you approach your spouse. You can't change your kids. But you can change the way that you interact with your kids. We steward them. We shepherd them. We shepherd and steward our relationships with each other. But it first starts with us. It starts with our hearts. It starts with what we value in our own lives. Because here's the main point this morning. What we value reveals our identity and our character. What we value reveals our identity and our character. 
Now, we, think about you know, what we value. And I, I think I've, I've preached this several times, especially around finances. But if you want to see what you value and you want to kind of see what you need to budget for, you take your bank statements for the last three, at least three months and you kind of average them, average them out. Like, what did I spend on eating out? What did I spend on groceries? What did I spend on housing? What did I spend on insurance or this or that and the other? Cell phone. What did I spend on movies? What did I spend on this? Entertainment or the, like you will see what you monetarily value. Where does your money go? That's what you value. Now, if there's a way to do it, I mean, I've got an, I've got an app on my phone called Lifecycle and it, it tracks where I go and what I do for the most part. And so I can look back on my trajectory from the last week, last month, last year. I can see how many steps I took. I can see, <laughs> I can see how many times I did every, you know, certain things like, you know, went visiting with people or met with people or went and drank coffee or whatever, whatever, whatever it is, it can track my life. And, and so that's another way of saying this is what I value is because this is what I spend my life doing. What do you spend your life doing? Because that is also what will show you what you value. Think about what you value. I mean, think about monetarily with your budget. If you don't have a budget, make a budget. When I didn't have a budget, I was living a lost and undirected life. But I didn't fully grasp it until after I made my budget. (laughs) I realized, I was like, oh, wow, I was lost and undirected and foolish. Think about what you value. Where do you spend your time? Where do you spend your energy? And where do you spend your emotions? Where do you spend your heart? Where do you spend your body? Where do you spend your mind? Where do you spend your heart? Where do you spend your spirit? Where do you invest? All these things reveal what we value. Now, let's look at our passage here this morning. So as we think about what we value, there's different ways to even look about look at what we value, what we spend time on. Um, there's a there's a guy I follow named Brian Ward, and he has this 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 philosophy that he says you know when, when about working. He says when you're working, you spend you know a certain amount of time doing your core things. Like these are the the life changing world world altering, you know money making and you know legacy investing things that you're investing your life in. And then there's a certain portion of your day. Of course, it depends on your job. Um, but, the, but then there's a certain portion of your day that you are doing just simply the things that keep the chickens alive. It talks about a story like these. You have these chickens, and they stop laying eggs. But it's like if you stop feeding them, they die. And the kid, like, who's going to just let chickens die? I mean, we've got to keep feeding them. They're living beings, right? So it's like there are some things that you invest in that will give you things, that, you will, that will, will give you return. There's other things that you just got to keep going because otherwise they'll die. Right, they're core things, and then keep them alive things. <laughs> um, and that, so there's this this juxtaposition between those things that are sacred and the things that are common. In the Bible, they, the uh, scripture makes this clear all throughout the scriptures. There are things that are common and things that are sacred. Things that are common are things like you know, like in our everyday lives, we're very familiar with these things. They, that we see them every day, we go to them every day, that's our house, right? 
the, the format of your house. If you ever move to a new house, you're like, wow, this is all new and shiny. And all of a sudden, a few months in, a year in, like it's now common. It's just ordinary. You could, you could walk around in the dark, right? When you can walk around in the dark, you know it's common. You know it's ordinary. You know it's, you're familiar with it. You know, coffee and, and my, you know, my, my bag, my, my satchel, you know, my, my, my technology, you know, my, my MacBook and my iPad and my iPhone, uh, my, you know, my table at, at home, uh, my, you know, just the house itself, right? There's all these things that are so familiar to us, our clothes. And then there are things that are sacred. They only come out on special occasions. Right? Like even Amberlynn was talking about, you know, how she used to see deviled eggs as this Christmas and, and potlucks special thing. But she loves them. She's like, I'm going to make these more often. The China. Not the country. The China. The China only comes out during special occasions. And it's only hand wash. You don't put those things in the dishwasher. Like your cast iron. You don't put that in the dishwasher. The cast iron is sacred. You season that sucker. You know, things that are sacred. My, you know, my backpacking backpack. That uh, only comes out when I go backpacking. My, my suit and cufflinks. I, only, I, I call it my Merriam and Barium suit for a reason. It's the only two times I wear it. <laughs> Maybe Easter. <laughs> but my cuff, the cufflinks that my mom gave me that are actual pearl, I've only worn them at my wedding. I would only wear them for very sacred events. Templed Hills. There is something about Templed Hills camp that is sacred to me. It is a place where I hear from the Lord. It is a place that I spend time in His presence. It is a special time that He speaks special things and does certain, certain special things in my life. The early church was operating very much as the sacred and holy new temple. They didn't see themselves as just common. They didn't see themselves as just like this, this like laid back, super chill, just group of people hanging out, eating bread together, fellowshipping. Woohoo! They saw themselves as sacred. They were the new temple. It was a place of holiness when they gathered together. It was sacred so much so that anything ordinary, common, or dishonorable brought in, became quickly exposed. Remember how, the, how holy the, the temple was. I mean, think about it. Like, in the Jewish mind, most of these people right now are Jewish. Imagine the Jewish mind and wrapping, you know, th- they're thinking about the temple. When the Ark of the Covenant was you know, being brought in into Jerusalem on a cart, it was supposed to be carried. They had long poles that they were supposed to carry the Ark. But out of this modern, you know, convenience called a, uh, an oxen cart, they put it on the cart because they couldn't be bothered to carry it, and it started to wobble. And a guy reached up and touched it, and he died immediately, struck dead. <laughs> and it kind of ticked David off. He's like, "God, what the heck?" He's like, "I said to carry it. You you were treating my temp my." Ark, my presence as common. As just something to be thrown onto a cart. The first covenant teaches us and gives us warnings about for anyone who was approaching who was unfit to do so. 
Like we, th- we see you know, the Gentiles were in the outer courts of even the temple itself, and then women could only go so far, and then men and the priests could only go so far. And then even into the very presence of God, only one guy, only one man could go once a year. Because it was sacred. Only on certain occasions when God gave permission. The sense of holiness and sacredness was all around the temple. And even the entire city and that whole region during this time. And there's so many people, so many stories about people who didn't obey, who didn't honor, who, or who didn't fear the Lord's presence, that they just did whatever they wanted. Like we talk, like, look at uh, the two sons of Aaron who dishonored the tabernacle and died. After the destruction of Jericho, Achan kept some of the spoils that were supposed to be dedicated to the Lord, who was found out after Israel was losing some battles, and the entire nation of Israel came and stoned him and his entire family. Sacred. Holy. When Saul dishonored the sacrifice, God took away his Holy Spirit from Saul and gave him a torturing, a tormenting spirit. When King Uzziah infringed upon the sanctuary, he was struck with leprosy and died. We don't like these kind of stories. They're not the ones that I'd normally, I would normally choose. But when you go through a book of the Bible, you kind of got to talk about them. Yeah. <laughs> you know, That's one of, the, one of the great things, but also difficult things about preaching through a book of the Bible. You have to address the difficult ones. And this is a difficult story. This is a difficult narr- narrative. We, have, you know, we would have heard... We would have liked to have heard that you know, the Holy Spirit had found them out and that they you know, revealed their secret sin uh, in, in, like, you know, in a word of knowledge to Peter. Um, and they, you know, they exposed them and you know, they repented and they were reconciled. And then after they, they either gave the rest of the money or, they, you know, or, just, or whatever happened, you know, they, they reconciled to the church. They, were, they, told, they simply told the truth. They were restored to the church and life went on. That's how we wanted it to go. That's how, put yourself in the story. If you did something stupid like this, you'd want grace. You'd want mercy. Right? But that's not what happened. We don't like these stories. But what they do is remind us of the power, of the honor, majesty, and glory that God is worth. That no one can stand in his presence and not be changed. And, and no one can stand in His presence and not be humble. There's no arrogant person that can stand before the, the, the feet of the Lord God. I, I love the, the, the expression in, in the Chronicles of Narnia, the Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe, and the conversation with Mr. Beaver. And they're like, he, you know, finding out that he's a lion. And you know, like the, whole, the white witch is, is coming to see him. And she's like, oh, yeah, the white witch. Yeah, if she, if she can stand before Aslan with, without her knees knocking, that's the, that would be the best that she could do. That is our God. No one can stand before His presence and not have awe. John himself, the guy who wrote the Gospel the book and the very book of Revelation, he said, when I even saw the Jesus, I saw the Son of Man in all of His glory, I fell at His feet as though dead. As though a dead man. This was John who was Jesus' best friend when He walked this earth. 
He leaned up against him at the Last Supper. He was given care of his mother. He was the only disciple that dared to come to Jesus' crucifixion. And yet he, boom, hit the ground as though a dead man. He was so humbled at the presence of the Almighty God. Sacred. As the the Scripture says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. I think this impressed a heavy reality on Peter (laughs) and the apostles. Can you imagine that? I think this impressed a heavy reality check on Peter and the apostles. The weight and seriousness of what they were doing. This is the very beginning of the movement. This is like like the next day. Like a couple days in. They were sensing the weight of the movement of God, what, of the, you know, the movement, like the Jesus Revolution. It was a movement of the Holy Spirit. Revivals were a movement of the Holy Spirit. The, the, the chapel service that ended with a handful of kids and is now tens of thousands of people in a small town in Kentucky is a movement of God, and it's going on two weeks now, almost three weeks now. This is just the first few days. They were realizing, it was a wake-up call. What are we doing? The reality of who we are. But here's what, because even he even wrote this later. In his, in his letter, he said, but you are a chosen race, a holy priesthood, a royal priesthood, I'm sorry, a holy nation, a people for his possession, so that you may proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Dear friends, I urge you as strangers and exiles to to abstain from sinful desires that wage war against the soul. Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits." Peter, in this moment, is having a wake-up call. It's not just you know sunshine and rainbows and, and butterflies. He's not just healing people and doing all these incredible miracles and seeing a movement of God and speaking in tongues and thousands of people coming to faith in Jesus Christ and, and baptizing people in the pool of Siloam. He's, he's seeing this great movement and yay! And all of a sudden, there's like a, almost like a speed bump. Reality check, wake-up call. What are we really doing? What we are doing is so heavy what we are doing is so weighty why because people's souls hang in the balance the reputation of jesus christ who died on the cross and rose from the grave his reputation is at stake because they saw that the the true purpose that they had in this world was to reveal god in all of its splendor, in all of its good and its joys and its fear and its humility. The temple, the city of Jerusalem, the people, the nation of Israel herself was meant to reveal God since the beginning. That was God's charge to Adam in the garden. You will be my representatives. His call to Abraham was the same call that he gave to Adam. Be fruitful and multiply. You will be like, I will multiply your descendants like the stars in the heavens. 
They were supposed to be the light to the nations of who God is. Because of this instance, Peter knew very well what the purpose of the church was meant to be. To be that light. To reveal Yahweh to the world. The church is the holy people of God. We are, this right now, we are the temple of the Shekinah glory of the presence of God. And that cannot be ever taken lightly. We can never come in here and just treat this church and in the, in the gathering of, this, of, of God's people here as common. This is a sacred moment every week. Every time we gather together, every time we create relational opportunities to break bread around the table, to play cards Christians like at a birthday party, every single one of these moments is sacred to God. We are a chosen race, a royal, royal. Let me say that again. A royal priesthood. That Jesus is in the line and lineage of David, so therefore we, because we are his brothers and sisters, are in that same line and lineage of King David. That is our forefather. That is our ancestor. Because we are brothers and sisters. We are a royal priesthood. A holy nation. So that we could, what? So that we can proclaim the praises of the one who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. That's our purpose. And people for his possession so that we can proclaim, make known, reveal God. These last couple of chapters, we've seen these miracles and signs and wonders that reveal the goodness of God's power to heal and restore. We've we've seen the boldness of the apostles to stand up and confidently and and give these spirit-filled sermons to the glory of God and the truth of the Messiah. The church was taking the place of the temple. This was a, a shift. This was the original shift church. They're shifting the presence and the power and the authority and the glory and the honor and the sacredness of the holy temple in Jerusalem and shifting it to the church. Now the church that was gathering in Solomon's colonnade and breaking bread house to house and fellowshipping and praying every day, they were now the temple of the Holy Spirit. the presence of God in the world. We can't be surprised when our jealous God protects His name. We cannot be surprised. He's taking us seriously as a church. He's taking us seriously. Seriously enough to show us that that where His presence is, there's power. Where His presence is, that is sacred. That is holy. Do not treat as sacred that which God calls holy. God is not mocked. You'll reap what you sow. 
as in the birthday party last night. If praying doesn't work, fill in the blank. <laughs> the one that was my favorite was make good choices. If praying doesn't work, try making good choices. <laughs> try making good decisions. Especially when we invoke the name of Jesus. Because here's the thing. Holiness is not optional. It's, it's who you are. But here's a caveat. Not what you do. Holiness is not optional. It's who you are. Not what you do. And let me, let me explain that. That works are not what make you holy. You are made holy by God. When you come to faith in Him and you, and you proclaim Him as Lord of your life, when you say, I'm, I will follow Jesus Christ, when you say, you are my Lord and Savior, and you profess your faith in Him, you are made holy. Jesus makes you holy. You are, I love that, that you know, the last thing we're, we're talking about. It's not you are becoming a holy people. You are not becoming a royal priesthood. You are. You are a chosen race. You are a royal priesthood. You are a holy people. Because remember, our lives don't you know, become this like constant and, you know, evaluation of like sin, hunt, sin hunting and trying to keep a short account with God. Remember, all of your sin was nailed to the cross. You can still mess up your life by dumb, dumb things you make, by dumb decisions you make, dumb things you do. Wrong mindsets that you need to change. Humility that you need to walk in. But how do we do that? Remembering who you are. And when you remember who you are, that changes what you do. And it changes the way that you approach other people. We are expected to bring respect, honor, glory, sacredness to every area of our faith. And that means our prayer life, our daily prayer life. To worship on a Sunday morning. To fellowship. Every time we get together with our, our act groups or our birthday parties or, or when we go, go hiking. like All these opportunities that we come together as, a, as, a, as the people of God to fellowship and break bread together with one another. Every single time, it's not just hanging out and you know, having a good time. Every time we get together, it is sacred. Every time we, get, we, we give service to God in the church, when, we, when you serve Shift Church, the way you do it, is it done in honor and respect to the Lord? How we love one another and our discipleship, how we disciple one another. The earliest Christians, as N.T. Wright says, were quite clear to name the name of Jesus and to invoke the Holy Spirit is to claim to be the temple of the living God. And that is bound to have consequences. Think about this. Ananias could have sold the property kept some of, them, some of the money back and said, hey, we're going to give this much. Totally would have been fine. Right? Totally would have been great. They didn't have to lie. They didn't have to. Or not even sold the property at all. Because here's the thing. They did not have to lie. All these things, there was no compulsion or peer pressure to have to do anything. 
in this early church. That was being all, you didn't have to do any of the things that were described in these last chapters. You didn't have to sell your property. You didn't have to give everything to the church. It was not compulsory. It was an expression of what was going on. It was an expression of the movement. But when we try to make what the Bible uses as descriptive and make it prescriptive, we ruin it. Saying we have to do these things. We have to put pressure on you to do these things. Because here's the thing. The reason why they died, why they, you know, because of what they lied to the Holy Spirit is because there is power in the tongue. The tongue is the highest faculty that we have. The ability to profess and to declare with our tongue the clear revelation of Christ, who we are, what we think, how we feel, the power of the tongue is the ability to proclaim the gospel and reveal Christ to the world. To reveal your love to one another and the way you speak to one another. This, in a sense, is the opposite an undoing, if you, if you will, of the, mir- of the first miracle of the speaking in tongues. This is an un- undoing. This is a reversal of the first miracle. And the Holy Spirit's like, no, 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 I'm going to nip that in the bud for my name's sake. James 3 says, But no one can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Blessing and cursing come out of the same mouth. My brothers and sisters, these things should not be this way. And Paul said to the Philippians, For this reason God highly exalted him and gave him the name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus every knee will bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. Jesus said this in Luke chapter 6, A a good tree doesn't produce bad fruit. On, On the other hand, a bad tree doesn't produce good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes bushes or grapes picked from a bramble bush. A good person produces good out of the good stored up in his heart. An evil person produces evil out of the evil stored up in his heart. For his or her mouth speaks from the overflow of the heart. The tongue reveals who we are. Let me say that one again. The tongue reveals who we are. As N.T. Wright, I like N.T. Wright, is saying as well, he said, lying is ultimately a way of declaring that we don't like the world the way it is. And we will pretend that it is something more the way we want it to be. And that, at that level, it is a way of saying that we don't trust God, the creator, to look after his world and sort it out in his own way and in own time and way. If these kinds of things happened in the church today, and think about this, if someone came in and declared, oh yes, I sold my property and I, here's, here's all the money, and they dropped dead in the middle of our church service on camera, and there was proof that they didn't actually bring everything forward, imagine these things, like people dropping dead because they were lying to the Holy Spirit, they were blaspheming the Holy Spirit, they were blaspheming and cursing God. There would probably be less criticism for the, the, uh, from the world of hypocrisy in the church. Think about that. Awe and, and respect and reverence and honor would just wash over the, the church. That we say and we do what we say. 
We live what we speak. That there's no hypocrisy because we know the we, we know what could happen. Here's the thing. We need to live and speak our identity. To I guess maybe I should have switched those. To speak and live. We say one thing and do it. We say we are a believer. We are the holy people of God. So we live the holy life. That's what our life is. That's what the life of faith and growing in maturity and growing up and in our faith is all about. Is learning to manifest on the outside what's true on the inside. I am holy and therefore I'm going to metanoia. I'm going to change my thinking, change my life to where it's living itself out on the outside. If I say I'm a joyful person, it's going to be seen on the outside by what I do and what I speak. I will be a joyful person because I choose to live into who I really am because it reveals our true identity. And I love how, it's, how this whole thing begins with actually a good example. This, we, t- we spent most of this morning talking about the bad example. Well, let's look at Barnabas. I mean, what about Bar- you know, Barnabas? Barnabas is back here going, hey guys, what about me? <laughs> Talk about me. Jesus, you know, he was a follower of Jesus. He walked with him since the beginning of his ministry. He had been with Jesus. He had walked with him. He was following through and living and speaking the truth of who he was. I almost wonder, you know, because there's, there's Barnaby in The Chosen, who was the, the lame guy who had, a, had the blind lady as a friend. Um, he's been in, the cho- been in The Chosen. And I almost wonder if this is supposed to be Barnabas. Like, I really hope it is, because I really like him. I just love his joy, and he's an encourager. That's why they call him Barnabas, the encourager. Some heaven. Oh, well. Dog, that was the last slide anyway. <laughs> but Barnabas, a follower of Jesus, he, he, he is an image to us of what it means to live truth and to live life, tr- the true life that God desires for us. To speak truth. To speak life. What comes out of our mouths, what comes out of our lips, is it, is it full of, of life? Or is it full of darkness? Is it full of accusation? Try to protect ourselves. Are we speaking and, and encouraging and lifting one another up as Barnabas, the encourager? This, this will later become Barnabas that walks and travels with Paul in his ministries. How does the way that each of our lives, and, you know, how, does, how does the way that each of our lives, each of us live our lives and speak Reveal the kingdom of God. Does it show that you value the presence of God? Does it show you show that you value the kingdom of God, the church? Or does it, like Ananias and Sapphira, reveal that your heart is set on yourself? Self-protection, self-defense, self-preservation, self-glorification. Worldly pleasures, comforts, and what the world values. Will the words that you speak reveal that you value Christ and His kingdom? Because when you know, what we value reveals our identity and character. 
what we truly value will come out. Because out, what is it? Out of the heart, out of the mouth, the heart speaks. The mouth is the mouthpiece of the heart, of the spirit. Let God transform you. Let God change you. Let God take you from a sense of self-preservation to one of Christ's glorification through manifesting His kingdom, His life, His way, His truth, His life through the words that you speak and the things that you do. So as we gather here, as we, as we end our time together, um, we're going to take communion. Oh, we'll get communion. <laughs> we'll start the questions early and then we can, t- can take communion when we get communion out. But there, so there'll, there'll be a few questions up on the board. Well, maybe I'll try. I'll, I will get them back up on the board <laughs> here in a second. But just take a time of reflection. Take this as a time of reflection to think about and to, and to contemplate to, to, to think about these things in your heart, in your mind. Contemplate them. Meditate on them. And then we'll get the, the questions up here in a moment. And uh, let these things ch- even change the way that you take communion. To remember that this is the body and the blood of Christ shed for you to make you a, a, a chosen nation, a royal priesthood, a holy people for His possession to proclaim the excellencies of our Father. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for this time together. Lord, we, we pray that you give us clarity and encouragement to see areas of growth in our lives, but also to see, Lord, your love for us, your radical and, and just reckless and amazing and never-ending faithful love for us, your people, Lord Jesus. We pray, God, that you would reveal to us the good that you have desired for us. The way, the truth, and the life that you are. And God, I pray that you would help us to obey all the things that you've commanded. To believe in you and put, place our full faith and faithfulness in your kingdom. You and your kingdom. And to love one another. Teach us these things, Lord, every single day to grow more and more into the likeness of the image of Christ. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.